This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Please be sure to subscribe and share with friends and family. To help support this ministry, please visit allentempleamec.com slash donate. Thank you for listening. Our scripture that was previously read came from Matthew, the sixth chapter, and the reading was from the first through the sixth verses, and jumping also to the 16th through to the 18th verses. But let me just highlight just a couple of points in that pericope. Verse 2 says, So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. Verse 5, When you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so that they may be seen by men. And if you jump to verse 16, whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. One day, a young man hurried into his town library. He went up to one of the old librarians and said to her eagerly, Do you remember that you had persuaded me to borrow a book about Greek history about a week ago? Yes, that's right, the librarian said to the young man. He said then to her, do you remember the name of the book? She said, feeling very proud because it's not often that she recommends a book, particularly on Greek history, that a young person is going to find so stimulating that they would even want to come and investigate and even to take out another copy. And she was just very, very excited. And she said to him, do you want to take it out again? Did you think that it was so interesting? To which the little boy responded, no, of course not. You see, what happened was when I was taking the book home, I met a young lady on the bus and she gave me her phone number. She wrote the number down in the book and I gave it back and I'd like to call her. So I need to get the book out again so I can get to the number. Now, whether you choose to acknowledge it or not, there is nothing that you do, good or bad, that does not have attached to it some kind of motive. Motive is the goal or the object of every person. And it's the reason behind everything that you and I do. To make it quite plain, everyone has some kind of motive. Now the challenge for us is that some of our motives are either conscious or they are unconscious. There are some things that we do that we are very much aware of why we are doing them, but there are other things that we do that we're not quite aware. We're not even sure why we do some of the things that we do. But despite the truth of that, the fact of the matter is our motives are often a window into the very conditions of our hearts. In our common vernacular, motives are often referred to as hidden agendas. Hidden because the why we do what we do is not always obvious to the what that we actually do. In this short story that I told, the young man actually wanted to borrow the book, but it was not for the reason that the librarian thought. The young man wanted to borrow the book because he needed a number he had written in the book. In other words, he had 
a hidden agenda. He had an ulterior motive. And in the context of this sermon today, he had a secret. So for a message, I want to speak to you today a sermon I have titled The Secret Service. The Secret Service. Let us pray. Eternal God, our Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, we have so many hidden agendas, so many ulterior motives, so many things that we want to do. And Lord, the truth of the matter is, we are nothing more than pretenders. If we are honest to you, God, we like to put on airs and we like people to glorify and we like people to honor us and celebrate us, Lord, even though sometimes in our hearts we know that we are most undeserving of all the fanfare. And so, Father, we look to your example. You, Lord, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to, to come down and to take on the form of a servant. You weren't looking for praise. You weren't looking for anyone to say how wonderful you are. You were really trying to show us a model of how we should live so others can say, look how wonderful God is. So, Father, today we endeavor to let our lights so shine that others may see our good works and glorify you, our Father in heaven. That, Lord, ought to be our only agenda. So bless this word, bless this time, bless the hearers. May something prick in their spirits that will change their direction to an agenda that's all about you. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So let me begin by talking a little bit about secrets. And I'm not going to go into any great theological discussion on secrets. But generally speaking, a secret is nothing more than keeping information hidden from other people. It's just that simple. The reasons for keeping secrets tend to fall, however, into two main categories. Oh, yes. The two main categories are, one, a logical reason, and secondly, an emotional reason. These are the two reasons why people, generally speaking, would keep secrets. What do I mean by the logical reason? Well, the logical reason for secrets is that we sometimes believe that people cannot handle the information that we have. That's a logical reason. And we see this, for example, when there are certain things that we avoid telling our children and our young people because our thought is that we are protecting them from some kind of truth or some kind of information. So the idea behind the logical reasoning is that we know something that we are not going to disclose because we believe in our hearts that it might be harmful to those who hear it. Well, that's you making a judgment about what people can absorb and understand. But nonetheless, that's a reason why we keep secret. And it's logical. It actually makes sense. The second reason is the emotional reason for keeping secrets. And what do I mean? The emotional reason for keeping secrets can often be attributed to fear, guilt, or even shame, right? These are reasons from an emotional level why we would keep secrets. But essentially, there is a thrill that is also connected to knowing something that someone else doesn't know. What do I mean by that? You all know what I'm talking about. This is where you know something that someone doesn't know. And because you know this thing, it gives you a feeling, an emotional feeling of having power over them. So we keep secrets because we think the information might cause people some kind of harm on the logical sense. 
But we also keep secrets because we believe that if I hold on to this information, I have power over you. And these are two very, very powerful forces that cause us to keep secrets, and they're driven by any number of things. In these two reasons, though, I believe Jesus is he's confronting both of these things in our text. But before we look at how Jesus confronts the issue of secrets, let's look again at how he prefaces the challenge. Here's what he says. He says this. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who, who is in heaven. Now, think about this carefully. Jesus says, beware, right? Right off the bat, Jesus is concerned with the condition of your Heart. His concern, he's concerned with the motivation behind a person's deed as much as he is concerned with the deed itself. The question of motive still comes into play even in our religious lives today, especially when in our day there are those who teach that material prosperity is a demonstration of having the favor of God. To make this point about motivation, however, Jesus uses as an example three most poignant demonstrations of what religious people like you and me do in order to give others the impression that we are more righteous than we really are. Jesus talks about giving, he talks about praying, and he talks about Fasting. Three ways that religious people love to put on airs and let people think that they are so much more godly than anyone else. I know I'm talking to someone, right? The principle is this. God wants us to give, surely. God wants us to pray, of course. God even wants us to fast, but he wants us to do them for the right reasons. Those who would be disciples of Jesus, they are to practice their religion from the heart and not for the notice of men and women. Beware, my brothers and sisters, of doing the right things for the wrong reasons. The question that we must ask ourselves is, do I want the approval of God or do I want the approval of God? Of others. And while that may seem like an easy question for you to answer, I am telling you, brothers and sisters, without fear of contradiction, that for many of us, the truth is the latter more than it is the former. We are far more concerned with pleasing people than we are with pleasing God. And how do I know it? Because by your fruits, we shall know you. And what you do will always betray the condition of your heart. So look with me to see what we can learn from Jesus beginning with this idea of giving. Verse 2 says, So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving will be in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, there are a few things that we need to look at in this text. 
The first thing is that Jesus acknowledges that we have a responsibility to give to the poor. I think everybody who's a church person and a religious person can readily agree. We have a responsibility to give to the poor. Whether you do it or not is not what I'm debating. What I'm saying is we can all acknowledge that we have a responsibility to give to the poor. But when it is done, it is not to be done with the sound of a trumpet or Eve playing the organ when you are coming up with your giving, just so everyone can know that you are giving right now to the poor. You see, by way of background, when the Pharisees and all the religious people were going to give to the poor, they would literally be sounding trumpets. In other words, look at me. We all want and crave this attention. We want everyone to say how wonderful, how good you are. And it's why some people love to let you know what they're giving. Why? Because it's no different than them just sounding a trumpet. And, and, and they want all the poor to come whenever they are sounding a trumpet. Look at me. And the people could see through the mask. Jesus could see that they had an ulterior motive. Jesus could see that they had a hidden agenda, which was really to let the whole community know that they were giving away things to the poor and to call attention to themselves. Does that sound like you? It might not be your giving to the poor, but maybe your giving in other ways that you feel is a great thing for other people to know. You got a hidden agenda. They wanted the recognition and the applause of men. They wanted the prestige and the honor of being known as godly men. Jesus knew this, and because he knew this, what did he call them? Hypocrites. The word hypocrite actually means to wear a mask, as the Greeks did in their dramas and in their performances. So these Jews were showing people one face, but they were really hiding their hidden agendas behind their other face. They were two-faced, as Jesus would say, and he detested it. They were not giving, but here's what they were doing. They were actually buying. Think about what I just said. They were not giving to the poor. They were buying attention and favor and the praise from others. And they paid for it. So much so that God is saying to them and to us right now, if you are buying that favor, guess what? You already got your reward. So there's no reward for you now in heaven because you already got it. Hmm. But Jesus did not leave it there. He says, as we'll see in the other two cases, Jesus told us how to give. What did he say in verse 3? But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving will be in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, I have to be honest with you. I have to be really honest with you. I struggled with why Jesus would use this reference between the left hand and the right hand. And it occurred to me, Jesus called them hypocrites. He called them two-faced. So, so could it be implying that when Jesus said this, he said, don't let your left hand know that your right hand is giving money because what would happen is when your right hand puts it in, your left hand might take it back out again. In other words, you are so 
callous in your heart that while you may want to do something for people to see, the other thing that people don't see is when your left hand takes it back out again. Now, I don't know if that's resonating with your spirit, but something about that sounds a little evil to me. That people would do something just in order to be able to give the impression that they're doing it, but really what they want to do is to just let you think it while they continue to hold on to it. Either way, Jesus wants you and I to render a secret service. In other words, when you do for the poor, do it with a heart that is intentional, that is meaningful, that says, I am doing this, and whether or not I get the praise of people, the fact of the matter is, this is going to be a blessing for someone because God is blessing that person through me. The second thing we can learn from Jesus picks up in verse 5, and that was just about the giving. So let's look at the praying. Verse 5 says, when you pray, now remember, I'm talking to church people. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites. Oh, here we go again. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you... When you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. Here we go again. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Prayer was a tremendous and centralized factor in their religion. And take nothing away from these Jewish people at the time. They really placed prayer on a high level. They prayed morning, noon, and evening. They went up to Jerusalem to pray. They were really big on prayer, and rightfully so. But unfortunately, their prayers was infected with their hypocrisy as well. No matter how good your act is, it can be infected with the hypocrisy based on the condition of your heart. Oh, I know this is burning. Now, I want to share with you several of the faults that crept in the prayer life of the Jewish people. And perhaps you can hear it creeping in yours as well. First, their prayers became ritualized. Very ritualized. In other words, they were functioning in their prayers only in terms of a ritual. An example of this is like, you know when children go to sleep? And what do they pray? Now I lay me down to sleep, right? It's a programmed prayer for when you're going to bed. Or when you sit at the dinner table, right? And I'm guilty of this. Sometimes I'm so hungry that I can't wait. I can't be bothered with just really kind of getting to the, the deep places of God in prayer. So what do I do? Is God is good. God is great. Let us thank him for this food. Amen. Keep it moving, right? I'm ready to eat. What I'm talking about is you have these ritualized prayers that you just say as a formality. There is nothing behind it. There is no meat behind it. You only know to say, Father God, Father God, Father God, Father God, and there is nothing meaningful behind your prayer. Now, I'm not talking and making anyone casting aspersion on anyone who may pray certain kinds of prayers, because again, as long as you're praying to God, I'm happy. Whether it's a form or a fashion, I'm just glad that you believe God enough to pray. But the fact of the matter is, when your prayer becomes so formulaic, it can lose all of its substance. So, ritualism 
crept into the Jewish prayers. The second thing that crept in was the development of special prayers for special occasions. They had prayers for everything, and it didn't matter what it was. They wrote out the prayer, and it became a certain kind of routine, which is a little different from the ritual prayers, but it was a little so robotic and routine. Now, now again, you don't need to go further than say maybe our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters, who they have those kinds of prayers. And again, to those who it blesses, God bless you. I'm just talking about the form of the prayer. Third and final thing that crept in, which I think everyone can identify with, is they prayed these long prayers. Oh man, they decided that it was far more spiritual to pray long prayers. Now I must admit, there are times when my prayers can be lengthy. And usually what I've noticed, and I believe me, I don't try to pray long prayers. It's just sometimes that's where God has me. But you know when there are some people who are just praying long prayers that, you know, you have to take a break, drink a water, and it's just so long. And then these people like to do it in a way because it draws attention to themselves. Maybe they want you to see how articulate their words are. Whatever the reason, the point I'm saying is there was a hidden agenda. But listen, our prayers are not to be offered to men but to God. When you are praying, the moment you decide to open your mouth in prayer to God, know that you are talking to God. And there's a certain way you talk to God. You don't talk to the bishop any old kind of way. You don't talk to the pastor any old kind of way. And for young people, you shouldn't really talk to your parents any old kind of way. So why should God deserve anything less than your best when you come to him? Those who come to him must first believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. You seek him in your prayers. But you can't just come and say, yo, what's up, God? What's up, Big G? Who do you think you are talking to? God is God. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He is high above the heavens. He is way in the depths of the ocean. He is not your peer. He is your sovereign Lord. And you must recognize his authority when you come to him. For if you don't recognize his authority and think you can just give him any old kind of prayer, anything that you want, then my brothers and my sisters, let me be unequivocally clear in what I'm saying. You think you're praying to God, but you're really praying to your other father. Jesus says, when you pray, Go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Here Jesus says to go into your inner room, close the door. In other words, go to a place where no one can necessarily hear you, but I will submit to you that the inner place Jesus is talking about here is the inner sanctuary of your own heart. Go to that place where you're feeling most distressed. Go to that place where your heart is so broken. Go to that place where you're dealing with grief and loss. The place where no one can hear what's going on inside your spirit. And go to that place and pray to God. Offer unto God your deepest fears. Offer unto God your deepest worries. Offer unto God your deepest anxieties. And while you do this in secret, he will see it and he will reward you according to his will. So, so, so you render to God the secret service. Finally, the last thing we pick up comes in verse 16, fasting. When you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do. Here we go again. 
Jesus is calling everybody hypocrites. For they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, here's a fascinating thought. Unlike the first two examples of righteous living that Jesus gives us, uh, there are biblical commands, of course, to give again and again. Jesus commands us to give again and again. He also commands us to pray again and again. But nowhere do I find it, at least in my studies, that there is any biblical command to fast and fast. Fasting then was, was personal. It was non-compulsory. It was a spontaneous and a voluntary act. It was something that you needed to do in order to connect to God, right? Jesus didn't say fast and you will be blessed by God. There, there's nowhere he says that. So, so fasting is not something that you do because it's a command. It's something that you do because you understand the nature of sacrifice, right? So, so most of us, why do we fast? Well, again, I'm just being real transparent and honest. Sometimes my fasting is driven by the fact that I'm getting a little pudgy, right? I'm just saying right? Very, very bad hidden agenda that I have, right? But other times, and most of the times, I fast because I need to hear something specific from God. Fasting is a natural response of the heart and the soul whenever anxiety comes in the midst of mourning and in the time of sorrow. When you need God's divine protection from demonic influences, you need to fast. Fasting is exercise when you want to know something from God. Well, in the words of John MacArthur, he says, and I'm not a big fan in many ways, but he says, if you don't fast, don't run out and start fasting to get spiritual. Some of us, we like to fast to get spiritual. And people see you and you're, you, 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 know, you got the, 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 what we call the white squall around your mouth because you want everybody to know, I'm just fasting. I'm just fasting in the Lord. Brothers and sisters, you don't need anyone to know if you're spiritual or not because if you have to tell them, guess what? You ain't. People should know by your fruit whether or not you are living a life that is commensurate with the words that come out of your mouth whether you are fasting or not. Sometimes when I fast, I'm even trying my best to not look like I'm fasting because as my wife would say, you look crazy. And that's the truth, right? So I wanna make sure that when I'm fasting, it's something that is not bringing attention to myself, but is aligning my heart and my spirit with the God that I say that I serve. So Jesus showed us the way. Jesus said, when you fast, Anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your father who is in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus wants us to render a secret service of self-denial for which he will give us the reward. So, Jesus' point in this whole Sermon on the Mount is to contrast true spiritual life 
with the false standard of the Pharisees and the Judaic system and the AMEs and the Methodists and the Baptists and the Pentecostals and the Roman Catholics. He's contrasting all of that spiritual pretense and comparing it to the true spiritual life. Jesus already, Jesus had already told these people that their theology was inadequate in chapter 5. And he will tell them later in chapter 6 that their approach to the material things of life was also inadequate. But right now, he's telling you and he's telling me that whatever you think about your spiritual life, it is also inadequate. Jesus picked these three illustrations out of all of their religious lives to show them their failures. But it is for us too because our giving, our praying, our fasting, which are religious activities, brothers and sisters, if we are honest, is insufficient. Why? Because it's driven by our own hidden agendas. If we are honest, none of us in this church, none of us in this community give, pray, or fast without some kind of ulterior motive. I give because I think God's going to bless me. What about giving just because God blessed you in the first place? We are phonies when we give. We are phonies when we pray. And we are phonies when we fast. Now, I'm not talking about you alone. I'm talking about me. And the beginning of my redemption and my hope and my deliverance and forgiveness in God begins with me being honest about where I am. Sometimes it feels like a burden to serve. Sometimes it feels like a burden to give. Sometimes it feels like a burden to pray. Sometimes I don't even know what to pray. It's sometimes it's a burden to fast. Because why? Because I'm hungry. The fact of the matter is, I'm not willing often to do what God has said to do. But I got on a fancy robe or I wear a collar. Let me put on airs and pretend so that others can see my good works and glorify me. Jesus is pointing out that God has a standard for his kingdom and his genuine standard of true piety is not the false pretense that you and I render unto Caesar. The trust of these verses, they serve, my brothers and sisters, to humble you and I. To humble us to the place where we recognize our faults. And when God sees that we've recognized our faults, he is faithful to meet us even beyond our own needs. Why do we do the things that we do? Why? Why do we serve in the church? Why do we sing or play the organs? Why do we teach church school? Why, why do we lead Christian education? Why do we help others? Why do we ush? The fact of the matter is, there's a reason why you've chosen to do these things. And what I'm saying, brothers and sisters, is today is a great day, especially as we prepare for Holy Communion, to check your motive, to check your hidden agenda. Because the, as the rappers say, you got to check yourself before you wreck yourself. The fact is, it really doesn't matter sometimes because the truth is all of our righteousness <laughs> is as filthy rags. So all of your motives, even when you think it's good, it ain't good enough. So pastor, that's a contradiction now to your sermon. You're telling me that I got to check my motive 
You're telling me that I got to watch my hidden agenda. You got to make sure that I don't let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. You're telling me to go into a secret place and to pray. You're telling me to wash my face and you're telling me to do all of these things. But even if I do all of these things, it's still not good enough. Yeah. Yeah. And what's the point? The point is Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. Jesus did it all. Jesus knew that you couldn't even measure up. Neither you nor me. So even when I think that the good that I'm doing is good, it ain't good enough. My point is, you have to recognize, brothers and sisters, that we come to a holy God in a most unholy manner. And because we are so unholy, Jesus is saying, even when you try to give, even when you try to pray, even when you try to fast, it will never be good enough. But I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. And when he died on Calvary's cross and became our righteous motive, Jesus himself removed our hidden agendas. For as long as you call on the name of Jesus, there is no greater motive. There is no greater agenda. There is no other reason that you would want to call on Jesus' name unless you recognize your need for the Savior. And I'm telling you right now, when I need the Lord, I call on the Lord. When I want the Lord, I call on the Lord. In the darkness of my despair, he heard my voice. There is no level that I can dip so low that he cannot find me. And when he finds me, he washes me for his blood cleanses me from all unrighteousness. And I am grateful and I am thankful that I serve a God that looks beyond my faults, all of my faults, and he identifies and sees my need. So brothers and sisters, what is your hidden agenda? What is your motive? For the Bible tells me that Jesus comes in the volume of the book. It is written of him and he is the best kept secret. For when he died on that cross, the devil think he won. But God had a hidden agenda. God had a secret service. And that secret service was your redemption and mine. So while the devil may think he's won, while the devil may think he got you right in his crosshairs, Jesus got you in his heart. Oh, Spirit of the living God, so consider your motive today. Do you serve out of a humble sense of gratitude for all that Christ has done for you? Or do you serve to be recognized by others? Either way, here is my question. What reward do you want today? So in closing, the young man went to the librarian and he said there was a book <laughs> that I had checked out but I wrote a number in the book and I don't remember the number. <laughs> you hear me? I don't remember the number. So what I did was I said, okay, I got the book. It's right here. 
Were you fascinated by what was in the book? Yeah, a little bit. It was a little confusing, but there is a number that I'm looking for in this book that I got to find because I need to make that call. That number happens to be John 3, 16. I want to call that number. Why? Why do you want to call that number? Well, it tells, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You get that number, and you dial that number, and you're never going to get voicemail. You're never going to get a busy signal. It will never hang up on you. You call that number, and someone will answer. And when that answered phone comes and you hear that voice, that sweet, sweet voice that lets you know that you are my beloved and in you I am well pleased, believe me, there'll be no need for any other book. He is all we've got and he is enough. So I pray that this message has found some place in your heart where you recognize that I'm going to give I'm going to pray, I'm going to fast, but most of all, I'm going to believe. May the Lord richly, richly bless you, my beloved.